Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. So here is how I want to begin our message today. This kind of a a delicate topic, but I want to just say to you, um, some of you are going to feel uncomfortable in this message today, okay? I'm just going to be really honest with you. But here's the thing I'm asking you to do, please. Please just wait until the end to leave, okay? (laughs) If you would just wait, hang in there with me. It'll get better at the end, okay? But here's why I'm saying this to you, because today we're going to be looking at what does Jesus explicitly say, teach about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, okay? This doesn't get talked about a lot in church, and today we're going to really go there and we're going to talk about it. What did he say? Now, before we dive into that, let me kind of give you a little backstory. For the first 400 years of Christianity, the the passages that we're going to look at today were really not problematic for the Christians because they really saw their marriage with one another as a reflection of their relationship with God. Like, in their mind, this sounds a little foreign to us in our culture, and our, you know, Western American mindset, but in their mind, in that first century, you could no more be unmarried than unsaved. Like, that's just, that's how they thought about it. It was a really powerful, enduring covenant that you made with God and each other, and this was not to be taken lightly. And in that first century... You know, Christianity was born into this Roman culture, right? This is when Jesus came along, and he starts teaching these things. We forget they were so radical. They were so opposite of everything else that was going on. The Romans at that time in the first century had all but given up on marriage. As a matter of fact, many Roman men wouldn't marry, especially those who were wealthy and powerful. They would just have relationships with their slaves, and when they got up in years, they would adopt some young person and leave everything to them. So much so that there was uh, my understanding from some historians that I have read, there were more than once that there was legislation before the Roman Senate to force these men to stay married because it was such a kind of playboy culture. These guys, that nobody really stayed married. As a matter of fact, some historians would say, this is a big part of why the Roman Empire collapsed, because it stopped having the family commitment. Be that as it may, there was a stark contrast between that culture and the way the Christians would live according to what Jesus taught. The Christians um, lived so differently and were so different that they drew people to them. Like, we didn't even know marriage could look like that, could function like that, could be that healthy. That's amazing. And it drew people to the faith. It was only hundreds of years later that the Christians and the Christian culture began to look for loopholes to make it okay to divorce, okay? And what they discovered, and we're still discovering it today, divorce does not erase the past. Let me explain what I mean by that. Many of you, and I've walked with many people through divorce, recovering from divorce, and life after divorce, but I've seen this happen a lot. 
And maybe it's been true of you. Just because you were divorced doesn't mean you, you stop thinking about that. You stop thinking about that relationship. I know people who will say, it kind of haunts me. I think about it all the time. Why it ended? Why I ended it? Why, it, why we failed? Why it, didn't, why it didn't make it? Like, what could we have done differently? You keep thinking. It's like it won't go away. And what Jesus is going to share with us today, with the words that we're going to be looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, you can, I liken it to like putting a medicine on a wound, right? That can heal the wound, but at first it burns like fire, right? When you put alcohol, you know, you're cleaning up the wound. And it's so much so that these words of Jesus have caused some people to say, I'm out. I don't want to hear this. I don't want, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want to be made uncomfortable, so I'm going to leave. But there are other people who just take it. Just give it to me. All right, Jesus, give it to me. And they have found deep healing. And they have found forgiveness. And they have found a way forward for their future relationships. And that is my prayer for each one of you today. And those of you watching online today. That you would be open to just take it. Just take it. And let God begin a healing deep down in your soul and show you there is hope and there is a way forward with him. And he's going to show you maybe some profound things you never knew about marriage today. I hope that you will be open to it. So let's begin by asking the question, how did marriage get in such bad shape? Okay, because it doesn't matter what statistics you look at in our country and all over the world, it's not great, right? So... Let me answer that. The reason that marriage is in such bad shape, let me tell you what it isn't. It isn't uh, the judicial system. It isn't the government. It's not Hollywood. It's not the liberals, okay? Let me tell you what it is. It is that we have drifted from what Jesus said about marriage, what he originally taught. We've drifted away from that, and not just as a culture, but even as the church all over the world. And it's time that we get back to what he actually said. And what Jesus said was so hard to hear. Even the disciples, the 12 disciples, here's what they said when they heard it, when they finally understood it for the first time. This is in Matthew chapter 19, verse 10. They said, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> and you know what's interesting any other response to what Jesus says about marriage really tells me you don't really get it yet, okay? You don't fully understand what he's saying, the weight, the, 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 the gravity of the whole thing, right? The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus showing us what it looks like to live in his kingdom. What does it look like to live that out today? Not someday, not in heaven, uh, and now we'll certainly do it in heaven, but what does it look like today with the help of the Holy Spirit, with his word guiding us? We can live this today, and we should live more and more like this, these things that he's saying in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's what we're looking at today. So let's dive into Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, and here's where Jesus comes in talking about marriage. 
He says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. He's quoting from the Old Testament um, a book of Deuteronomy chapter 24 where Moses writes this. He says, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. I'm going to stop for just a second because this two-word English translation, it is a single word in Greek and it is pornaya, where we get our word pornography from. Pornaya is the Greek word, and it literally means to engage sexually in any way, in any way outside of married sex between a husband and a wife. This is Jesus speaking. I'm just translating what Jesus said here, okay? And he's saying that in that situation and that situation only, there is grounds for divorce, okay? This is what he's saying right here, right? And, but what gets missed many times in our culture today is that there's also grounds for reconciliation. (laughs) There's also grounds for healing and people making it through. And I have seen, and maybe you have too, many people who have been through different forms of pornaya in their life, and they've repented of it, they've healed from it, and they've gotten better, and their marriage is better today than it was before. And Jesus is just showing us, let me lay this out for you. Now, we could make an argument for people who are abandoned by their spouse. And later in, I think, 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about those who are abandoned or those who have been abused. And it's chronic abuse and there's, they don't seek help. And we could make an argument biblically for that as well, that like, hey, look, there, there are times where God doesn't want you to stay there and just continue to be abused, Right? But Jesus is addressing this one issue. We're going to camp out on this one issue today. And he goes on to say this. So I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Whoa, this is a heavy statement from Jesus. And which our modern sensibilities today would say, wait, 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 Jesus, wait, I don't think you understand how marriage works, right? Or how divorce works. Because once you're divorced and you get remarried, that's not adultery because you're divorced, right? I don't, I don't think you fully understand Jesus, right? And are we wrong here? To which Jesus, I think, would respond and say something like, maybe there's something you don't understand about marriage, Maybe there's a conclusion, there's an assumption you come to culturally, nationally, that you have adopted, that you feel like is true. It's just not true. It's not the way humans flourish. It's not the way you function. And it's not the way you were created to flourish as human beings. So it's interesting here, Jesus is trying to help us to understand there's more going on than maybe we assume. Now, I want to shift our focus to another conversation that will help fill in more information for us. It's a a communication or a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. And it's over in Matthew chapter 19. Now, before we jump to that real quick, let me just give you a little backstory. These Pharisees, they were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous of his followership. They were jealous of the power and the, the influence and the authority that he taught with. 
So they were trying to trap him, trying to discredit him, and here's how they were trying to trap and discredit Jesus. They knew that if they could prove that Jesus contradicted Moses, because in the, 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 the Jewish culture, there was nobody that was accepted as from God more than Moses. I mean, uh, he's a pretty big guy in Jewish history, right? The Exodus, maybe you've heard of it, right? Um, that was a big deal. And so they looked at, Moses was a man who heard from God. And if Jesus was in conflict with something that Moses said, then maybe we could prove that Jesus is not from God. But what Jesus winds up doing is showing them, you have misunderstood what God was saying through Moses. Let me clarify it for you. Because I'm not in disagreement with Moses. As a matter of fact, I, we're on the same page, but let me explain it further. So here's what happens in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 19. Some of the Pharisees came to test him, and that's the testing I'm talking about right there. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So here's what's happening. They're bringing up a debated issue that had been with them for a long time. There were two schools of rabbinic thought. There were some rabbis that taught that you literally could get divorced for any and every reason. If your wife burnt the food, if she looked at you weird, you could get divorced. I mean, ridiculous stuff, but there was, there's documented history around people doing this very thing and that they would divorce over stuff like that. There was another school of thought that said, no, only divorce is only permitted under unfaithfulness. As a matter of fact, in the same gospel, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, I believe it is, in the Christmas story, you'll remember that when Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, she, he decides he's going to divorce her quietly, secretly, right? It's because of this rabbinic teaching. So what they're doing is trying to drag Jesus into it, saying, where, what side are you on, Jesus? Where do where you fall on this whole argument, Right? And here's what Jesus responds in classic Jesus fashion. He says, haven't you read? And he's about, to, he's about to school them on the Old Testament. Now, this is funny because he's talking to these men that they could not even be a Pharisee if they hadn't not just studied the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Old Testament. They had to have it memorized. And he's saying, haven't you read? Haven't you read? Are you talking about us? We, have, we know it better than anybody. We've memorized it. But he's like, you haven't done it. You haven't let it penetrate your heart. And he goes on to say, haven't you read that it, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? I want you to notice, Jesus does this over and over. He's saying, we're not going to let culture and context make our decision for how we're going to proceed with God. We're going to go back to God's original intent. How did he start? Because God didn't change his mind. He didn't change his plan. He didn't change his design of human beings. It's still the same. And this is the way you work, and this is the way you flourish, Jesus is showing us. He's saying, in the beginning, this creator made them male and female and said, for this reason... A man will leave his father and mother, and let's read the highlighted words together, father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become what? Become one flesh. The two will become one flesh. It's like Jesus is saying, you're asking me, under what circumstances can you make two out of what God has made one? 
Guys, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking something, you're, you're treating something that's permanent like it's temporary. You're, you're trying to rip tissue apart that was never meant to be ripped apart. And he goes on to say, so they are no longer, they are no longer what? Two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. No, no one separate. And why would he say that? Because Jesus knew when we try, when we attempt that, when that is done, divorce always brings such deep pain, suffering, and struggles, not just for the adults, but for the kids that have to go through it, endure it too. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't ever try to unone what God has made one, or you will live with pain for a really long time. This is not the way you were made. The Pharisees is just asking the question everybody else is asking, and maybe still asking today. Maybe some of you are asking, is it permissible, right? Can we... Well, is God okay with it? Like, he looked the other way. or Can we make two out of one? To which Jesus is saying, it's not even fully possible. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, that's not how this works. That is not how it was from the beginning. You see, um, it, it rips away something on the inside. It hurts. And I'll tell you, I grew up in a home where divorce was a big part of my growing up years. When I was 12 years old, my parents divorced. They both remarried, and they divorced again. And I walked with them through all three of those divorces. And I want to tell you that, especially that first divorce at 12 years old, I can't think of anything in my childhood that even comes close to the pain that that caused, the suffering to hear these two people. I mean, when you're a little kid, this is your whole world, your mom and dad, like you, you're, they're the rock stars of your life. It's only a couple of years later that you don't think that you wanted their opinion at all. But at that time, love mom and dad, and you hear them saying such hateful things to each other. Horrible, screaming fights. I don't want to see you ever again. I don't want you to be a part of my... And it just... It was just heartbreaking, heart-wrenching betrayal. It feels like the deepest level of betrayal. I had never had a relationship, of course, at that point in my life. I had no idea about romantic relationship, but it felt like someone was deeply rejecting me, breaking my heart. I'm just telling you this because you need to know on the, the kid's end, this is, this is what you go through. It is a deeply heartbreaking, you feel unloved, you feel ashamed. But here's the irony about the whole thing. Even through all of that, at 54 years old, there's still a part of my heart that yearns for, even though I know it is impossible. My father has passed away. There's no way this could happen. There's still part of me that yearns for that family we once had, that we could bring back. What was once one, you want it back? You wish that you could have it back, but you can't have it back. It breaks your heart. It hurts. 
And I'm telling you, just some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Nobody wants to celebrate. No one wants to talk about. No one wants to say, stop, pump the brakes before you're so quick and glib to just divorce and remarry, divorce and remarry. Wait. Think about what this is doing to you on the inside. It's tearing you apart. In other words, it feels like we are tearing apart something that was never meant to be torn apart. This is not supposed to be treated like this. It was not supposed to go this way. And the, the Pharisees' rebuttal to Jesus, going back to our conversation in Matthew 19, they say this, they say, well, why then, they ask, did Moses command, they're using the wrong word there, command that a man and his wife, uh, the wife give his, uh, pardon me, a man give his wife certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, let me correct you here, Moses, let's say it together, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hearts were hard. Jesus always brings it back. It's a heart issue. Sin doesn't start out here, it starts in here. And every issue in this whole series, think like Jesus, whether it was anger and murder and adultery and uh, lust and lying and it's a heart issue if you can get your heart right remember early on we talked about this heart being right before God is what Jesus called righteousness don't try to do the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees they were all about the outward appearance if I can look good then me and God are good Jesus says no way righteousness that God wants the righteousness that God wants is having the right love for God that leads to the right relationship with God and others love your neighbor as yourself right and it produces the right actions. That's sort of the final piece. But it starts with the right love. And he's saying, your hearts were hard. You see, what was happening in this context is that people were not staying together. Men were just abandoning women in this male-dominated society, and these women were left very vulnerable. They had no place to go. And the assumption was, if he left you, you probably did something wrong. You were the one who was unfaithful. And which was not the case most of the time. So these women were even uh, rejected from their own homes, from their own family. They weren't allowed to come back and live with their parents because they didn't know what was going on. So these women were just left on the streets. So many of them became prostitutes. And Moses is looking around going, this is not right. This is not honor God. And so he made those men. And if she was not unfaithful, you give her a certificate of divorce since you're rejecting her anyway, so at least she had a defense of her innocence so that she could go on and live with her family, that she could go on and work, and she could have a, she could have a life afterwards. And so this was a big deal. And this is how he ends verse 8. He says, but it was not this way from the beginning. Jesus always takes us back and he says, let's take a look at what God's intent from the beginning was. In other words, divorce was a concession, not a command by God through Moses to make, uh, make men take care of the women, to, to care for these women who were ostracized and outcast and marginalized and pushed into the streets it was a way to take care of these women, not an attempt to try to make two out of what God had made one. 
It was really just a way to take care. And God's heart has always been that. You see that all through the Old and the New Testament, that God's heart goes out to those who are outcasts, those who are marginalized, those who are pushed to the, to the edges, those who are rejected, which very much describes Jesus. And that's what he was trying to do here. So he tells us in verse 9, he says, I tell you, Jesus talking, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, pornia, there's that word again, and marries another woman, commits, let's say it together, commits adultery. Okay, so let me just be super clear. This is Jesus saying, even if you've got divorce papers in your hands, right, and, you, and you're, you're divorced, you go out and remarry except for sexual immorality, Jesus says, you still haven't unwound what God made one, and it's adultery. And it needs to be confessed and forgiven. In verse 10, as we looked at earlier, the disciples, they're hearing all of this discussion with the Pharisees, and their response is, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And guess what? Jesus doesn't correct them. <laughs> it's like, you're finally getting it. Yeah, right. Now, I, let me quickly say, this same Jesus, same man, God in the flesh, the living God among us. Just a short time later, recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 8, we have a woman who's caught in adultery. Now, as you know, adultery is not something that one person can do by themselves. Where's the man, right? But he's not brought out there. She is, drug out in the street, made to be completely filled with shame, everything, People were picking up stones. They're about to kill her. And Jesus says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. He, in other words, he runs off all of her condemners. And then, and, and, and he says, so where are your condemners? She said, they're all left. And he says this in verse 11 then neither do I, what is implied there, condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is a woman, there's no question, <laughs> caught in pornia, right? And he says, neither do I condemn I'm forgiving you, but oh, listen to me, daughter. I made you for better than this. You don't have to live like this anymore. You don't have to feel like human garbage anymore being just used for your body. That's a horrible way to live. Horrible way to live. God has better for you. Go and sin no more. Leave this place. Leave this life. Leave all of it. God will be with you. There are better days ahead. Some of you need to hear that today. That marriage results in oneness and it's a oneness that we don't generate, we don't create. It's not something that somehow we achieve. It's something that we are. It's something that God does. When we make the covenant before God and the witnesses present at that wedding, it is something he does. And Jesus says, and please respect what God has made one. Not because 
it simply disrespects God, but because of what it does to you, what it does to you on the inside. You can't unone what God has made one. I heard it said before, it's like them asking, hey, do, Jesus, do we have permission to try to unscramble eggs? Jesus would say, I don't think you understand how eggs work. <laughs> um, you could try, but I don't think you're going to be very successful. You're never going to get that egg back. Like, it's, it's done, <laughs> right? So the question is that many of you may be asking, and I'm going to ask it for you. So what do we do if we're on our second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh, whatever marriage, right? What do we do? How do we go forward? Now, the beautiful thing is the Apostle Paul takes this teaching of Jesus and he teases it out for it. He helps us to find application in our current context. Because when, when Paul went to start the church in Corinth, which was a Roman city, and then later he writes 1 Corinthians, this letter back to this church in Corinth, he's addressing an issue that was happening where people were becoming Christians and they're married. Obviously, everybody was not a Christian at that point. They're still married to this non-Christian and they think, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I still definitely have to divorce you. I got to go on and do my thing. And they were starting to try to divorce and Paul is saying, whoa, 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 no, 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 don't do that. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he actually says it a couple times, verse 17 and verse 20. He says, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. I know that there was a series of decisions that did not include God that got you to where you are right now, but going forward, honor God in that relationship. I want you to start with where you are and honor God and love that other person as Christ loves you, right? I want you to do that. And you might be surprised that when you start to love them the way Jesus loves you, they might turn and have faith in Jesus too, which was happening in that culture. And the question you may be asking, well, can we be forgiven of adultery? And the answer is a resounding absolutely yes, right? If you'll remember just a couple of weeks ago, back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, when Jesus was talking about lust, he says, if you've ever had lust in your heart towards anybody that's not your husband or wife, you've already committed adultery in your heart. What did Jesus do right there? He just called all of us adulterers, right? We're all guilty. Me, you, and all, we're all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need his grace. We all need his forgiveness. None of us escaped that one. And he's saying, listen, I just want you to understand that you can be forgiven. You see here, Jesus was attaching adultery to the act of remarrying, not as a perpetual sin. It's something that if you did get remarried under the wrong um, pretense that there, you, you, you definitely need to confess that, ask for forgiveness, and you're forgiven. And then you go forward in that relationship and honor God with it. You see, God meets us in the middle of our brokenness. Whatever relationship you find yourself in today, to honor him, let him begin to make you whole again in the middle of that. And Jesus says to each one of us today, neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. I'll meet you right where you are. I will, I will enter into that relationship with you as ungodly as maybe it has been up to this point, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be your strength. You don't have to be afraid. Now, imagine with me for just a minute, what would happen if we decided 
that Jesus is right about marriage. And we're going to adopt that. We're going to let that be our model for how we're going to conduct ourselves in our marriages. Think for just a minute with me. How would that impact the next generation? How would that impact our kids and our kids' kids, our grandchildren? I think about this a lot. I've got a little six-month-old granddaughter right now. I'm thinking about Leslie Nice marriage. I'm thanking God that we get to be a different model than the one I grew up with and the one you grew up with. We can choose differently, and Jesus is going to be there with us. And we can become this beautiful representation of our relationship with him and live that out. And once again, we become a stark contrast to the world around us, the culture we're surrounded by, and all of the messages we are inundated with on social media. Jesus wants to use your life. Would you be willing to open it up and say, yeah, I'm yours. I'll trust you. Here's our application prayer. I'm asking you to pray with me, simply saying, Lord, I accept what you say about marriage. As hard as it is, it stings a little, yes, but it will bring great healing because it's in keeping with how he created us. I pray for your grace for my current marriage, or if you're single and hope to be someday married, well, that's good. Pray for your future marriage, right? Let it be a reflection of your relationship of love to me. Let me learn how to live that love out, okay? So here's what I ask you to do. If you would, let's bow together in prayer. And right now, would you just be willing over these next couple of moments to ask Jesus to help you to fully embrace his idea, his teaching around marriage? Would you just commit to that with me? In a day, in a time, in a culture, in a nation, a world that is the antithesis of that. But you know what? Jesus says, if you'll do this, you will shine like bright lights in the night sky. And people will see your life and say, praise their Father in heaven over what they're doing. Jesus, we come before you right now, and I pray for every person that can hear my voice online, in this room, or in person today, and I pray we would just make a fresh commitment to you right now. Jesus, we adopt your plan for marriage. What you say about marriage, we're, we're going to accept it right now. And if you are not married yet, would you just pray, God, I'm praying for your grace to help me someday when I get married to live that out the way you're saying right now. If you're asking Jesus, you're saying, I'm committing to you, Jesus, either now or in the future, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you right now. Anybody here that'd be willing to say, I'm asking Christ to help me. I'm adopting, I'm taking, I'm taking a step of faith right now. Yes, Lord. And maybe you've already done this in the past, but it's just a fresh commitment. God, yes. Choosing you, choosing what you say at a time when it's really unpopular. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hands going up, balcony, the floor. I pray, God, right now you would help us to take that step with you, to commit to this and to commit to the marriage. Whatever marriage that is, God, help us to commit to it and to love and to live out what you have called us to. We thank you that you are right here beside us, not condemning us, but loving us, calling us into a better life than we have ever had before. 
a life where we actually flourish in your kingdom. We say yes to you and your plan for marriage. You may lower your hands. And right now, those of you who are here today and what's just deep down in your heart, you are yearning for a relationship with God. When I talk about that, there is a, a part of you that wants it so bad, but you might think, but there's no way. I've blown it too bad. God would never want a man or a woman like me. Would you just push all of that aside for just a moment and just say to him, God, I want you. I'm asking you to come into my life right now. Forgive me of all the sin I've ever thought, said, or done. Please forgive me. I accept that when you died on the cross and resurrected from the dead, that was to pay the penalty to, so that I could be cleared of all wrongdoing. I could be forgiven of all sin. I receive that right now. Yes, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Would you tell him that? And come into my life right now. Take over. Be the Lord, the leader of my life from this day forward. If you're giving your life fully over to him, you ask him to forgive your sin, and you've asked him to be the Lord and leader of your life, would you just boldly as an act of faith right now, while we're all in this moment of prayer, I just want to pray for you. Would you lift your hand and say, Will, that's me, giving my life over to Jesus. God bless you, man. Right here on the front row. Anybody else giving my life over to Jesus Christ? Right back over here. I see your hand. And right in front of the sound booth. Anybody else back here on the back row? God bless you. Over there. Over here. God bless you. Back right. Back left. Anybody in the balcony giving my life over to Jesus Christ today? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your words are just as powerful today as the day you spoke them, and they are just as helpful and healing for those of us who are willing to apply them and live according to them. God, thank you so much for helping us to have the light of life, that we can follow it and we will never regret it. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you back next week as we talk about revenge, okay, and how to deal with it. See you later. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.